Welcome back to Let's Talk About Women, a podcast where we talk about women's mental health across the lifespan. My name is Franziska Weinmar and I'm a doctoral candidate of the International Research Training Group 2804. And with this podcast, we want to share insights from interdisciplinary research on women's mental health. We are recording this episode today in Uppsala in Sweden, where I'm currently staying for a guest researcher stay at our collaborator and partner of the IATG, Uppsala University. And how could I not use this time abroad better than to invite experts and scientists here on site? So today I have the chance to welcome and talk to Dr. Emma Franzon in our podcast. Emma, you're a child psychologist and associate professor at Uppsala University and at Karolinska Institute here in Sweden. And your research focuses on mental and reproductive health, specifically in identifying biomarkers for pregnancy-related complications. And that also includes mental health problems such as peri- and postpartum depression. And especially because the hormonal transition phase of pregnancy is a topic I focus on in my PhD projects too, I am so generally happy and really excited to have you here and finally talk to you about pregnancy in our show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. As always, before we jump to any further details, um, I want to set a baseline. Even though we are all here today and living because someone was pregnant at some point, I feel that we still know so little about pregnancy and what happens during this developmental phase. So how would you, from your research area, explain to someone that is not familiar with this field what happens during pregnancy? Thank you for that question. That's really an intriguing one because, as you say, it's a very common condition that we all experienced in some way and still... Yeah, there are lots of still unknown things. So, for instance, we still don't know exactly what starts the delivery in a human pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So I think that's fascinating. Yes. And related to that, there are many known things that change in the body of a pregnant person. So starting with um, implantation, there is an immunological change, making the environment in the um, utero Uh, feasible for implantation of the embryo. Mm -hmm. And that could be called, could be defined as a pro-inflammatory phase where you have higher inflammation in the body. Uh -huh, okay. And then when, when you have an embryo that is already implanted and it's supposed to start growing to become a fetus, a child, uh, the body has to adapt to having a semi-foreign embryo in the body because normally the immune system wants to get rid of foreign things and here it has to adapt and tolerate the growing mm -hmm. fetus and still keep track of other things that happens like viruses or bacteria. So during that phase you could call it an anti-inflammatory phase. Mm -hmm. It's quite simplified but during the mid-pregnancy where most people also feel better and it's the the part where the fetus is growing a lot. And and then towards the end, it's also, again, a more pro-inflammatory phase. And that is also the start, eventually, of the of the delivery. We see a high increase in inflammatory markers. So that was the pregnancy from a quite biological perspective, mm -hmm. or immunological from the immune system, yeah. perspective. Mm -hmm. So coupled with this, you also have lots of other hormones that you work with. 
that change a lot during pregnancy. So there's yeah. a high increase, as you know, of female estrogen and other mm-hmm. uh, hormones. And also, actually, of stress hormones that increase throughout pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cortisol, basically. Yeah, cortisol, yeah. for instance. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have all this going on. And at the same time, especially if this is your first pregnancy or you expect your first child, you also have this psychological change. And the yeah. change of, if you're two parents, you have the change of your relationship, the change of identity, you could say. So there are so many things going on at the same time. And it's uh, very fascinating that most often this goes in a positive direction. But of course, there are complications that could happen in any of the different dimensions that are changing Mm. during pregnancy. Yeah, I see. So basically all of these things, that is something that um, also when I entered the field, I was, I didn't, had that I didn't have that in mind basically that so many things are happening during pregnancy which I think is fascinating and I think you really beautifully also transitioned and explained a little bit um, a term that we will now introduce and I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page um, and that is the field of psychoneuroimmunology so you already introduced us a little bit about explaining pregnancy from the perspective of the immune system from hormone changes and also, of course, psychological changes. But what or how would you explain the term or the field of psychoneuroimmunology? Yeah, that's a very interesting field to me. And I think you could start with explaining that for a long time, people have noticed that if you have immune changes in the body, let's say you have influenza, Mm. you could also experience behavioral or psychological changes. So if we are sick with the influenza, we are less socially active. You could almost say that you feel a bit depressed. Mm. Yeah. So I think that was the starting point a long time ago that you started to combine research from the immune perspective and the psychological perspective or behavioral perspective, how these things are interrelated. So that is, I mean, how, how the immune system when it's active and when it changes, it also changes the immune functions in the brain and Mm -hmm. it also changes then behavior or how we perceive things, so more the psychology of things. So it's really the field that looks at the interaction of different systems, so the immune system, the nervous system with the brain and then the psychological system or behavioral system basically, so looking at these things not separately but looking at how they influence each other for example in case of yeah in case you're you're sick or something you have a influenza Mm -hmm. yeah and it's also it's i just want to add that it's also a bi-directional communication so now we've been talking a bit about when the immune system changes and that influences how we behave or how we feel but it's also the other way around so what we feel or what we experience psychologically can also influence the immune system yeah that's a very important point and i think that is also often maybe not so much considered that it also goes the other direction and that's also something um super interesting and i think we will tap into that a little bit more um now i want to move a little bit more into the state of the art research and what you've also been saying before is that pregnancy and also the period after birth what we call the postpartum period is one of the major hormonal and 
basically also transition phases a woman will undergo throughout her life, among others due to, as you also mentioned, huge hormonal fluctuations. So from rising hormone levels so high that they actually exceed any hormone levels a woman will ever experience in her entire non-pregnant life up until the moment of birth, after which some of the hormones then, yeah, drop pretty quickly within only a few days, but then also other hormones rise. And this is only looking at the hormone system. You also talked about the immune system, what happens there. And all other factors, so psychological and social factors that change for the women. And what we discussed or mentioned now is that these factors interact and create a pivotal time in a woman's life. And it's very understandable that women's mental health or well-being is influenced during this period too. But while some of the women only experience, for example, a mild mood dip, um, others might get more severe symptoms during or after pregnancy. And then we refer to this as perinatal or postnatal depression. But what I'm actually very much interested in um, and would like to ask you is why some of the women get postpartum or perinatal depression and other women just have milder symptoms or no symptoms at all. Because it cannot be only because of the hormone fluctuations, right? Because otherwise every woman would experience some form of postpartum depression. So what other factors um, or, yeah, yeah, influential factors uh, contribute to postpartum depression. Yeah, I think there are many risk factors that are described in the literature and many of them are uh, social factors or background factors. So if you've had depressions before, for instance, uh, that is the major risk factor to also get depressed during the perinatal or postpartum period. But you also have, of course, I mean, we shouldn't uh, neglect all things that can happen. So if you have complications during pregnancy or delivery or you have a social strain in your life, that also increases the risk. Then if we think about the biological changes that you could think they are similar to everyone, everyone who's pregnant have this increase in hormone, uh, hormonal levels and so forth. However, we have seen in some research that if you have a depression going on during pregnancy, mm -hmm. this increase in inflammation that I described that happens at delivery, that increase can be even higher in those individuals who already experience depression. So it's like the system is can kind of sensitized already and then the inflammation increase is, is higher than in other persons who, who are going through delivery. And we think that that might be one thing that could impact on the risk of having postpartum depression. So maybe the system is already... It, it, it's kind strained, of... Kind yeah, of strained, kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So similar to what we see in the social situation, if you have high stress and so forth, so similar in if the system is stressed, then you, you might also react differently to what's happening in the body. So I think the interaction, again, you could say the stress level increases the inflammation that might also lead to higher levels of depressive symptoms. Okay, so that's also then uh, related to what we see probably also in major depression, that we have um, inflammatory markers that are associated 
or also interact with the mood and the psychological symptoms. Um, but would you say that there are also differences uh, between major depression and postpartum depression? Or how would you also describe the, the, the differences there? Or are there any? That's a big question in my mind, since I think major depression could also be divided probably at least into several subtypes. So there is some research where you can find that not everyone has this inflammatory component uh, while depressed. So it might be the majority or about half of people who have major depression that also um, express these elevated inflammatory levels. Interesting. So I think already there you might see that It, it's not the same for everyone. And then if we, if we go into the postpartum depression that I've been researching, I also think that there are many different subtypes. So I think it's hard to say that it all, yeah, it differs a bit, I think, from major depression in, in the sense that, I mean, the lifetime is so special. But of course, I think it also for some people are just, uh, if we could say with anxiety, uh, I mean, not... Not just, you shouldn't make it small, but that it's similar to the major depression. While for others, it might be very much a reaction to those hormonal changes. So for instance, um, we know that women who have experienced mood changes or depression uh, in association with, for let's say, that have experience of uh, premenstrual um, mm. dysphoria yeah. or some severe PMS, those are individuals are at higher risk of having postpartum depression. And then we think it's about change, being sensitive to the hormonal changes. While for others, they get depressed already during pregnancy, and then it might be for other reasons. So yeah. I think the complexity of the disease is not yet fully understood. Yeah, I think that there you mentioned a very important point, and it was probably it, it is probably too easy to just say there is one postpartum depression. And yeah, you also mentioned there may, might be um, factors that contribute to um, onset of depression during pregnancy when you have to deal with a lot of changes and you, yeah, many things change in your social environment. And for others, it's more that they are, as you mentioned, sensitive to the huge hormone levels. Um, And I know that some of the research is going to the direction of basically um, looking at these individuals who might be very hormone sensitive, as we would call them, and they might just their system is very stressed or strained then by the um, hormone fluctuations. But what um, I would like to go back to, because I was just thinking, uh, you when you were introducing and talking about what happens during pregnancy, you were saying that there are... Um, Uh, phases within pregnancy where we see a more inflammatory um, state, mm -hmm. right? And you were saying that some of these inflammatory markers um, or inflammations um, might also trigger or contribute to, for some women, um, the, the depression onset. Um, but how is it then, are there also some women... Um, that are more vulnerable for these inflammatory markers or... What is it? What what happens there? Yeah, I think we will know more about that in the future. I think that's mm -hmm. the direction where we should go to see why there are such big individual differences. But I think what what I mentioned a bit before, I think if you add on 
different risk factors, then I think you can have, for some women, this inflammatory increase could be a tipping point. Uh, so, But maybe if you have only that and everything else is in balance, then maybe you recover more easily. But that's more like an hypothesis. I was also thinking, uh, as you said, the different phases of pregnancy. So if you if we look in and look at the prevalence of depressive symptoms throughout the pregnant period, you could also see a bit of uh, increase in depressive symptoms already in the beginning of pregnancy, where you also have this higher inflammation phase, mm-hmm. and then uh, again an increase towards the end of pregnancy when the inflammation is increasing again. So I think, yeah, we have a key to understanding that, but I think it's probably just a subtype, <laughs> again, okay. of women who, who react to these changes. And why that is, I, I don't think we fully know yet. Mm-hmm. In parallel, I know there is research, let's say that you have people who are exposed to a lot of stress, um, and not everyone would experience, let's say, post-traumatic stress syndrome or something after uh, a traumatic event. Yeah, true. And and you could see, I think it's similar in a way, because then you can see either that you have had, you've been exposed to trauma before, then you're more sensitive to having a traumatic experience again. But it could also be, that you're more sensitive to stress hormones and you have different receptors, for instance, to that. I mean, there are people who are not as sensitive to stress hormones because, uh, yeah, the body doesn't react as much as for other people. So I think there is a complexity in the body-mind system that we we don't yet know all about. Ah, yeah. Um, And I think that that's probably... uh that makes a lot of sense. I would also think that um, there are just some individuals for some reason we do not yet know that they're more sensitive to inflammatory markers that increase uh, with stress also during pregnancy, also um, more sensitive to hormones also during pregnancy. Um, but would you then also say that we could, even though we not might not yet know why um, some individuals are more sensitive, could we still use some of these markers, inflammatory markers, as we've been talking about now, to uh, predict or or indicate some individuals who might be at risk for postpartum depression? We have, here in Uppsala, we have done some studies trying to find predictive markers. And I think so far we have not succeeded in finding a good single marker that would be feasible to use in the clinic. And that is probably because the changes during pregnancy are so complex and it goes, I mean, in different directions during different periods. And we haven't yet targeted the time where you could take this blood sample, for instance, and measure the inflammatory levels and then you have a prediction because maybe you target one individual when they are starting going into the more inflammatory phase and someone is still in the more anti-inflammatory phase and then we get quite diverse results. I think we're closer to looking at that in the postpartum phase. So, I mean, if you would see the inflammatory levels in the postpartum period, we're actually right now starting such a study where we want to predict if women after delivery, the inflammatory markers about 
six or eight weeks afterwards if that mm-hmm. could predict the long-term depressive depressive symptoms because some women keep having symptoms of depression for a long time yeah even for six months or longer so that we're interested in and i think in in the postpartum f- period it, it's a bit more clear what is happening in the body like you you have this higher inflammation after delivery and then that is supposed to go down uh, to a more normal state so i think it's easier to think that okay higher inflammation still at eight weeks would probably be a predictive uh, marker for late long-term or later depression but we still don't have that one target um, yeah so we're still looking for that Interesting. Yeah, I think you mentioned something very important, and that is that postpartum depression is not something that happens during the past, the, the, during the next couple of weeks um, or months after pregnancy. You can actually take some time, like six months. How would you say, how far can, um, if you have a depression onset um, after pregnancy, how late can it also show up after pregnancy still? I mean, if you look in the diagnostic manuals, it's a quite short period of time that is actually covered um, to be called postpartum depression. Mm. But from the clinical or research perspective, we know that it could uh, actually happen later. And I think most, I mean, in in the clinical uh, setting, we in Sweden, we screen for uh, depressive symptoms about six to eight weeks postpartum and And that has been shown to be a good time because most uh, individuals have recovered a bit since the okay. delivery and also the baby have started to get into routine and it's it's going a bit better than, mm-hmm. if you could say so, than in the beginning <laughs> when it's more chaotic maybe. Yeah. So so that seems to be a good time to, to check. And also you don't miss so many that will develop depressive symptoms later on. However, some some women do actually. And we usually in research cover the whole first year and, and calling it the postpartum period. Yeah. Also yeah. because you you still have some bodily changes if you do breastfeed and oh, of course. you have this mm-hmm. all sleep interruptions yeah. and, mm-hmm. and many things that characterize this period. Yeah, that also of course contribute to um, depressive symptoms or postpartum depression. As we also have um, a podcast talk recorded with uh, Christian Benedict talking about sleep a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, yeah, so what I understand from now is that um, now where you are at research at the moment is trying to use inflammatory markers um, six to eight weeks after birth to make a guess about how or yeah, how postpartum depression might turn up in some of the, the women after birth. However, for markers that you could assess during pregnancy, you're not yet, like research is not yet quite there to indicate what could be a good time point during these nine months to make a guess or a prediction about someone at risk. That's correct. And I think also what we have to remember is that still today, the best method of prediction is to ask people still about <laughs> did they have depression before yeah and how is their life situation so so i think we are quite if if i <laughs> may say we are quite far from having those biomarkers being more important than what we can do in 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 the clinical setting today already but i think it would be a good contribution 
in the future because we have some individuals who actually have their first depressive episode in the postpartum phase. And we also have women who are feeling very well during pregnancy and then the depression comes very much as a surprise. And of course, it could also be a question, do you want to know? That you are at higher risk. I think most people would would like to know, but and then we can also hopefully offer some supportive interventions. Yeah. So so I hope that could be the future. But then also I, I'm thinking about. Um, I mean that this is also in the far future, but to offer different therapeutic methods that could target the immune system, for instance. <laughs> Okay, so now for full transparency reasons, uh, we had a short practice fire alarm break, but we're now back again. And um, yes, I would like maybe to collect some of the thoughts that we just talked about before and jump back into the conversation. Um, I think you just previously made a very good point about um, asking also women uh, how they feel and what their social situation is at the moment before we try to make predictions with biomarkers that we do not know yet so much about. However, and that is also something um, I think we are very much interested with these biomarkers and what I'm also asking about, can we use some of these inflammatory markers to predict later on depression is exactly because some of the women experience their first ever onset of depression after pregnancy and it might really um, catch them by surprise um, or they yeah, they might feel very good at the moment but then later on something happens. So I think a good um, way to look at this or how I at least see it is to use some of these markers, even if they are like um, biomarkers, if we know information about the woman that she has been very hormone sensitive before, is to use that information to now prevent maybe an onset by giving some interventions uh, to the woman, um, maybe to, to make some... Um, um, how would you say, like some therapeutical approaches to already yeah, pre- um, prevent some onset of depression later on. So also to target some psychological factors. How can a woman maybe um, deal with depression symptoms if she experiences them in the future, right? Yeah, and I think it's important. Many women wouldn't even recognize the depression when it's a fact because it's it's a, such, as you have mentioned already, the transition period, it's so much that happens and you have this new baby and maybe you don't understand fully what, what happens. So I think the information about the risk is also something that can have a good effect if we if we tell people in advance that this can happen and you can look out for the symptoms of, of depression. And then if you want to work with the depression or you have an intervention. I mean, there are there are a few that have been shown effective. So it could be CBT or other psychological interventions. And I think also, I mean, if you have a mild depression or just to before the depression onset even, you can work with lifestyle factors that um, also can target the immune system. So for instance exercise could have an anti-inflammatory effect uh, to to a certain extent 
and to try and get good routines with, of course, that's difficult in this life period with good sleep. And but if you if you try and and identify the factors that you could improve, maybe it's the social contact that is important for you, or to have a little break from from maybe your other kids or what you're doing or. How how you best uh, get some energy back? That could be really important if you're vulnerable for for depressive symptoms. Yeah, I think you just brought it to the point because what we're trying to, what we could try to do in the future is to really make use of the psychoneuroimmunology and target the the heightened or the increased uh, inflammatory markers from the other perspective because we've been saying that also the psychological um, or behavioral system has an influence on our inflammatory system right so if we as you also say use some psychological techniques or use exercise to reduce inflammatory markers this might give us then um, also positive um, effect on our mood too right yes And I think that's also quite well known today that exercises would be a treatment of choice if we could prescribe it to people. So, But of course, it's also difficult if you're very pregnant to, to keep exercising. So, so you have to do it in, in the way that works for you. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, because what we've been maybe not covering so much until now is the neuro part of the psychoneuroimmunology. So I want to ask you, what do we know uh, now um, about the inflammatory markers related to uh, postpartum depression or also onset of depression during pregnancy um, and the brain? So what happens in the brain? Yeah, and... I have not studied the brain myself, but there are some groups that are working with animal models. And you can see, and we also know from other life periods, um, that peripheral inflammation, so if you target, I mean, if you see elevated inflammation, for instance, in the circulating blood system, you could um, assume that will also change the levels of inflammation in the brain. And the brain has their its own immune cells, and they are quite effective in, in working with the brain, so it's the microglia. And however, before we thought that circulating uh, biomarkers like inflammatory markers were not crossing the blood-brain barrier, but now we know that even if not all molecules cross the actual barrier, they can impact on the brain and you can have an elevated inflammation in the brain. Wow. So, but then, of course, it's not... There are a lot of things that can happen in the brain without having... I mean, it sounds very serious, right? When we say inflammation in the brain. And still, that is something that happens in, to a small extent quite often. Like, it's, it's also... The immune system, when it has an immune response, we call it inflammation. And that's a part of being a healthy person that the immune system reacts and take, takes care of, of things that yeah, otherwise of course, would be of course. Uh, developing into something worse. Um, however, we could also, I mean, it, there are also other changes in the brain that we don't really know the source of. And maybe that's what, what you're doing in your own research. So I think... 
I mean, again, we don't know enough about the pregnant brain and the immune system during pregnancy. But I think we can we can just assume that since we have all these changes that are easily measurable in the peripheral system, so in the bloodstream, it's also happening in the brain. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, that is, yeah, definitely something we should need to look into uh, into this more into the future because, as we've been saying, we really do not know a lot about the pregnant brain. It's, yeah, a lot of things change. We know that from research that has looked um, at the brains from uh, women before and after pregnancy and we see a lot of changes. But we actually do not know a lot about the changes how they come along during pregnancy. And that's something that's totally fascinating. And of course, um, even in the quote-unquote healthy brain um, of a mother, a lot of things change. And it's really important that they change because um, because of the maternal behavior, the things that change need to change. Um, but um, yeah, even... Even though there's so little research on the pregnant brain, there's even less research on the pregnant brain and um, depression. So postpartum or peripartum depression. Um, so definitely something that that needs more attention in the future. But um, it totally also makes sense that um, as a, from a perspective from psychoneuroimmunology, some of the inflammatory markers um, can cross the, the blood-brain barrier and influence brain changes too either in a in a more adaptive and healthy way or maybe also in a maladaptive way i would like to also look at the perspective of the child so we also said that um, of course the mother might be influenced by uh, depressive symptoms after birth um, later on for a longer time um, how does this affect the child also longitudinally do we have some information on that too That's an important question. And I think, first of all, I would like to say that most children who are exposed to perinatal depression, so either during pregnancy or in the postpartum period, they actually develop normally. So th that is good news. But there are also increased risk of some problems. And that could be, um, for instance, delayed uh, language development or more problematic behaviors. And I think if you look at the symptoms of depression, you could see that if you have if you as a mother are depressed and you're taking care of your, your baby and usually you do that perfectly well while still being depressed, but maybe you talk less because you don't have the I mean you're depressed and you all these behaviors that are normally positive are decreased for you. So that could be one reason why we see this delay of language development and other developmental things in the baby. Um, but we also know, so for instance, we did a study where we looked at depressive symptoms during pregnancy or in the postpartum period. And, and we can see that already during pregnancy, it could be having effects on, on the infant. However, if, if the postpartum period, if the mother gets a good bonding, like a good bond to her baby and then that that risk could be taken back, so to say. So, mm -hmm. so there are good interventions that could, could help the family. So I think the important thing, I mean, we have been talking a bit about prediction, but also I think it's important to screen and to ask 
new mothers and new parents because we need to identify who is at risk or who are already having uh, who is already being depressed so we can offer interventions and and make the best for the family yeah that's a very important point um i would also say that of course we have to look at um, the mother's health and mother's well-being but of course um during pregnancy and uh, childbirth and also later on it does not only affect the mother right so it's also about the child that we would have to have in mind and the um yeah the, the system that both of these individuals are um And to use some of that information that you cover during your research to also um, enhance well-being for both of them is something that is a very um, good incentive or motive to, um, yeah, to to go more into research about that to make these predictive outcomes. So before a final question, I would like to summarize what we've talked about now, and that is that pregnancy is a transition phase in a woman's life uh, where the body is changing, hormones are rising, immune system, as you also beautifully explained, is also having different kind of phases from more pro-inflammatory phases into some phases where nothing might or not as much might happen. And then, of course, that the brain is changing a lot and social and psychological changes are happening. And if we then look from, from the perspective of psychoneuroimmunology, we can say that many of these factors or all of these factors also interact and might put some of the women more at risk for experiencing mental health problems. And some of the women might be quite Adapt, adapting to the to these kind of factors interacting um, so it's, it seems also as you are um, explaining that there is not only one postpartum or peripartum depression but there are several and maybe distinct types of depression and we haven't figured out yet um, what these different kind of types could be But it seems that some women might, for example, be more vulnerable for these huge hormone fluctuations or the really high hormone levels. Some women might more be sensitive to increased inflammatory markers. Some women might experience very social and psychological changes during this period of time that might trigger an onset of depression. Um, so it's not very clear at the moment how everything fits in this system, but we just know now that it's quite a complex thing and that many of the factors that change during this transition phase interact and might make it a little bit of a vulnerable phase for some women. And with this, I would also like to take a look into the future and ask you, Emma, um, our final and recurrent question, what is the next big question or next big step in psychoneuroimmunology and pregnancy research, especially um, if we consider pregnancy-related mental health? I would very much like to know more about the brain and what happens, uh, as we touched upon before, the big changes. And if we could know a little bit more about what happens in the brain of a, a pregnant person who has depressive symptoms coupled with a pro-inflammatory profile compared with other other individuals who might have depressive symptoms without the inflammation or who are well. And maybe we can have some more insight into why we have those differences. So that would really be on my wish list for the future. And also I think the psychoneuroimmunology 
perspective of the child development. So we know that it's a risk to have been exposed to depressive symptoms in utero, for instance. So the mother being depressed could could change the development. And I think there are also research research starting to show that inflammation in the infant during pregnancy could be coupled with increased risk of developmental uh, deficiencies. So I think the interaction here between the mother's uh, mood or disease during pregnancy, like mental health problems during pregnancy, uh, and how that impacts on the child mediated via the immune system, I think that is also a very interesting area in, in the future. Definitely. I can only agree. Emma, I thank you so much for taking your time and shedding light onto this extremely exciting phase of a woman's lifespan and sharing your knowledge on these mind-blowing interactions, I think, that are happening throughout this phase. And there's definitely much more to, to be uncovered. And I hope we can talk about this at some point in the future, um, too. And again, and at this point, I would also like to thank Hannah Virenga, another of our PhD candidates of the IATG, who contributed to this episode by helping to prepare background information and posing intriguing questions we were now able to discuss. And if you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for specific topics, please let us know and contact us via mail Twitter. As always, you can find the information in the show notes of this episode and our podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, we would be very happy if you shared it with family, friends or colleagues. And until then, hear you next time when we talk about women.